God is good. Even when the things in our life aren't good. In our Bible study time this morning, Romans chapter 8, being optimistic, one of the points we brought out is that God makes all things work for good. But I appreciate the fact, Brother Tyler put in that study, that it doesn't mean that everything God brings into our life is good. And um, I'm thankful. We can just be honest. And the things that sometimes come into our life, we don't like. Psalm 142, David said, I poured out my complaint before the Lord. <laughs> I'm glad that God's not intimidated when we bring our complaints before him. I'm glad that he doesn't judge us when we come before him and we make ourselves real and transparent and we express our frustrations. We express the fact that we don't like what's going on. That is, has nothing to do with the message today. That's just what's in my heart. It's been in my heart since yesterday. And I know that our family's not the only one that's going through struggles and difficulties. And I hope that that song service today helped you understand that very truth. Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1 today. Can we do that? Daniel chapter 1. As we continue this current series of messages under the title, Desperate Households, i just just be honest with you that perhaps nothing can be a greater, bring a greater sense of desperation to a household, especially to parents, than raising a teenager. Can I get a witness right there? Now, I'm not trying to insult teenagers. That, that's not my point. But one day, and I know here we go, the one day speech, one day you're going to be the parent of a teenager, and you're going to understand what I just said, because it's true. Navigating the year, the teenage years, as a parent, um, can be very difficult. Honestly, there are a number of reasons for that. One of those is they start driving when they're teenagers. Now, there's an adventure for you. I finally found out how to stop that in our home when my boys were growing up. I just hid the car keys under the lawnmower. <laughs> I knew they'd never find them. <laughs> Had no fear of them ever finding them. And then, uh, then there's a the whole dating thing, and 
I kind of like former NBA player Charles Barkley's approach. Somebody asked him one time, said, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle boys who want to date your daughter? You know, they met Charles Barkley. He just speaks his mind, and he's very honest. He said, I figure if I kill the first one, word will get out. And if driving and dating aren't enough, what about trying to understand what your teenager is saying? I mean, they use words and phrases like lit when talking about something that's cool or awesome. That's not what I think of when I think of lit. Their squad is their friend group. Their fam does not include mom and dad, nor their siblings. It's their closest friends. And what do you suppose I'm weak means? To me, it means you're soft. You're weak. But to them, it means that was funny. Okay. Exactly. And what do you think of when you, when you think of the word Gucci? <laughs> clothes. Expensive clothes. But to them, that's their way of saying something's good. Am I close? Am I close? All right. When your teenager throws shade, it means you're giving somebody a nasty look. Or they're saying something mean about them. And if they're salty, it means that they're bitter at something or bitter at someone, and then there's bay, which is short before anyone else. It's a term of endearment for their boyfriend or their girlfriend. So I think you would agree with me this morning that Breaking the teenage language code can be a very difficult thing. But every now and then, teenagers will say some things that are very easy to understand if we'll just take time to listen. Let me illustrate what I mean. A Gallup poll surveyed 500 teenagers and asked them this question, what one thing would you rate as the most important thing in your life? More important than a sense of accomplishment? More important than good physical health or a good self-image? The number one answer was this. Nine out of ten Teenagers gave this answer, what is the most important thing in your life? And here was their answer, a good family life is most important to me. Reader's Digest commissioned the Roper Center for Public (coughs) Opinion Research to ask 1,022 teenagers, ages 16 to 18, a battery of questions. When teenagers were asked what source of satisfaction is very important to you, by a two-to-one margin over everything else were two answers. 94% of that 1,022 teenagers said raising healthy and happy children. And 91% said having a good marriage. 
Now, I think you would agree with me this morning that that language is not too difficult to understand. Teenagers, for the most part, want to be raised in dynamic households. And in turn, they want to raise their children in dynamic households. So I'll say it again this morning, dynamic marriages produce dynamic households. And dynamic households produce dynamic children. And then I'll add to that this, dynamic children, if trained properly, become dynamic teenagers. When I think of dynamic teenagers in the Bible, my mind immediately goes to a young man named Daniel. Daniel had so many dynamic qualities in his life. And we're going to look at some of those in this message. But if you ever stop to think, where did those qualities come from? They, they didn't just come naturally to him. And I would submit to you this morning that what is true today that is, that dynamic marriages produce dynamic households, and dynamic households produce dynamic children, and dynamic children, if raised and trained properly, become dynamic teenagers. If that, was, if that is true now, no doubt it was true then, and that being the case, much of what Daniel possessed in terms of godliness was instilled in him by his parents. So here we are in Daniel chapter 1. And I'll just tell you, exceptional young people like Daniel, and quite honestly, like, like some that we have right here in our own ministry, they don't just happen. They just don't stumble into it. They are produced by years of good parenting. They are the end result of a mom and dad who have taken seriously their responsibilities to train up their children in the way they should go. So there are two thoughts I want to share with you concerning the training of dynamic teens. First of all, we'll, we'll take a moment to look at some things that you can give your teens. Mom and Dad, I hope you're writing some of this stuff down. Here are some things that you can give your teenagers. And the first one is conviction. In the survey I quoted from a moment ago, those same teenagers were asked this question, are your values the same as your parents? An amazing 76% said their values were basically the same. Another survey was conducted to determine the single greatest influence that led 158 missionary doctors to give their lives for God's service. The responses were varied, as you can imagine. They included such things as contact with other missionaries, the impact of a pastor or a college professor, books, and an internal sense of calling. But the single, listen, the single greatest influence cited most often was that of their parents. 
Mom and Dad, listen this morning. Nobody can impact your children, especially your teenagers, like you can. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether you like it or you don't like it, chances are your sons and your daughters are going to adopt the values that you give them. Now, let me, let me say this about that. That is not always true. So that's why I didn't say always. Because that's not always true, because in the end, we have to understand God has given every one of us the ability to choose. And I know personally some young people who were raised in homes where the values of those homes were based upon the truth of the Word of God, yet they chose to live a different way. But I also know situations where young people who were raised in homes where these values were not taught nor practiced chose a life consistent with the truth of the Word of God. And so I'll tell you, that's what I just said is not 100% true 100% of the time, but by and large, it's true. That our children will adopt our values. It's obvious from the story of Daniel's life that his parents gave him some core values that he could hold on to in times of difficulty and temptation. From the very beginning of of his time in Babylon, Daniel was tempted to compromise everything that he had ever been taught about what was right and what was wrong. Now, in case you're not familiar with the story let me tell you a little bit of it a wicked king named nebuchadnezzar led the army of babylon against jerusalem and in a raid of the capital city the bible says that they carried away the the best and young men and and carried them into captivity these young men were carried back to babylon and they were held there against their will It was the intent of the Babylonians to indoctrinate them and to train them in their pagan ways so they could be used for the king's wicked purposes. So without warning, Daniel found himself in a land that had no room nor any time for the God of heaven. Babylonians did everything they could to try and assimilate Daniel into their culture. Look at verse 3, Daniel chapter 1. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of these eunuchs, that he, uh, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, And such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach, here it is, teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Drop down to verse 6. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So the Babylonians changed Daniel's name. But you know what? That really didn't bother him too much because he knew who he was. They tried to change his mind. But that really didn't bother him too much either because he knew what he believed. What bothered Daniel was what happened in verse 5. Look at it. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the king's wine, which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And so he, the king offers these young men, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a portion of his meat. It was different than what everybody else got to eat. And, and in that group was, was these four Hebrews and, and led by young Daniel. And, and he, they put that meat before him and they put the king's wine before him. But look at Daniel's response in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. You say, preacher, what's up with that? Here's what's up. The king's meat and drink would have been a, a transgression of the dietary laws of the Old Testament. But even more than that, it would have been to give honor and credibility and allegiance to a pagan god to which that wine and meat had been dedicated. And Daniel said, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give credit and credence to a god that is not real. And so Daniel refused to compromise. Wow, where did he get that kind of conviction? Again, I submit to you that he got it from his parents. When those same teens in the survey I mentioned a moment ago were asked, if you were unsure of what was right or wrong, which would be most important in deciding what to do? Their number one answer, listen, if you're in a situation, you don't know what the right thing is to do. You don't know what the wrong thing is to do. So how are you going to make your decision? What are you going to base that on? How are you going to decide? Here's what they said. Doing what was best for everyone involved. Listen to me this morning. That's the wrong answer. The best thing to do is what God says to do. Parents, you need to take the Word of God and use it to instill some conviction in the hearts of your teenagers. Teach them that it is what the Bible says that is right every time. It's not about, well, what is best for the majority. That, listen, we don't live for the majority. We live for Him. And mom and dad, we need to instill that conviction in the hearts of our children and in the hearts of our teenagers that ultimately, son, ultimately, daughter, you live for Jesus. 
Daniel's parents gave him conviction and they gave him character. But Daniel purposed, it said, purposed in his heart. That's character. Convictions are about what you believe. Character is about how you behave. Daniel showed that he was a young person of character because of the choices that he made. Former UCLA coach John Wooden once said this, there is a choice you have to make in everything you do. And you must always keep in mind the choice you make makes you. Here's what character is all about. It's about doing, making the right choice based upon what God in his word says is right. Listen, regardless of the circumstances. Doing character is doing what God says in his word is right despite the consequences. And here's where some teenagers run into problems because they're not really convinced that there are any moral absolutes. And that's what they see modeled in our culture and that's what is, is taught by our culture that there just is no moral absolute. What is right for you is right and what is wrong for you is wrong. And, and though what is right for you may not be right for me, well, that's all right. We'll just agree to disagree. Listen, that's not in the Word of God. So again, that's where they, that's where they, they miss the boat if you will, is they don't understand there are moral absolutes. In other words, they base their choices on how they feel or what they think or what they see their peers doing or what they want at that particular moment in time rather than making their decisions based upon the absolute truth of God's Word. You say, well, preacher, why do they do that? There could be any number of, of reasons, including, not limited to, but certainly including, it's because what they've seen mom and dad do. They're just doing what they've seen modeled. Instead of seeing mom and dad make choices regarding right and wrong based upon the absolute truth of God's word, they've watched as their parents have practiced situational ethics. Come on. It just matters where they're, where they're at and who they're with and what the situation is. That determines on, on what they do when they need to be modeling to their teenagers. It doesn't matter who you're with or what situation you're in. This is what we do. This is how we live our lives. So parents in every situation, listen, what is right is right. And what is wrong is wrong. And what is wrong will never be right. And what is right will never be wrong. So mom and dad strive to instill some character in your young people by setting a good example before them. And then in addition to that, do your best to instill some courage. Where do young people like Daniel get the courage to say no to sin? Well, they get it by learning to say yes to God. Was it easy for Daniel to say no? 
Absolutely not. But was it right? Yes. Look at the end of verse 5. You still with me? Daniel 1.8. Look, look at the end of verse 8. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And that may not be, seem like a big deal until you look at verse 10, Daniel chapter 1. And the prince of the eunuch said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. In other words, this guy said, listen, Daniel, I, I, I get what you're asking me to do, but... but if you don't look as good as some of these other people, the king's going to wonder why, and then I'm going to have to tell him because I, you didn't eat the meat, you didn't drink the wine, and then we're both going to lose our heads. So by granting Daniel's request, both the eunuch and Daniel could have died. I mean, you talk about pressure. But there was an even greater pressure put on Daniel that day and honestly I think it's the greatest pressure that any teenager could possibly face bar none and it's peer pressure and by the way it's not just teenagers that succumb to peer pressure help me it's not just young people that succumb to peer pressure adults do it as well Peer pressure is real, and, and, and sometimes it can be very, very great and very, very strong. Daniel was in a situation where he had to say no at a time when he would have been the only one. Now, I know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're mentioned later, and, and they join in with Daniel, and they stand with Daniel, but at this point in time, it's Daniel and Daniel alone. And I'm using my imagination here. And I'm seeing sometimes in Daniel's life growing up in his home where his parents made him say no. And that's what parents must do if you want to instill the courage of Daniel in the hearts of your sons and daughters. Parents should not expect their kids to say no when they're not around if they've never made them say no when they are around. So what can you give your teenager? Give them conviction. Give them character. Give them courage. Now let me point something out real quick that's often, I think, missed in the story of Daniel. That is, give them courtesy. Give them courtesy. It's something that we often overlook in Daniel's response. Look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Here's what Daniel said. Prove thy servants. Ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So here's Daniel's response. Okay, listen. Let's, let's put this thing to a test. For 10 days, don't make us eat the meat. Don't make us drink the wine. For 10 days, give us, give us pulse. And at the end of 10 days... Look upon our countenance and look upon the countenance of the others. 
And if you see a big difference, and you do what you think you need to do. That was Daniel's response. Listen, he didn't protest. He didn't bomb the banquet hall. He didn't adopt a holier-than-thou attitude. He respectfully declined their offer. Listen, we're talking here this morning about being courageous and being people of character and taking a stand even when it's hard. And I want you to understand this this morning. We don't have to be jerks when we do that. We don't have to take a Bible out and pound people over the head with it. We don't have to try to shove it down their throat. We can just respectfully say, I'd rather not, and here's why. Does that make sense? We can still be courteous. I want you to listen to these words. Our youth love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders. Youth are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when their elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, gobble up their food, and tyrannize their teachers. Look at the bottom of that. Socrates said that 400 years before Jesus. Parents, in the midst of training your teenagers to have conviction and character and to be, courte- and be courageous, teach them to be courteous. And now, real quick, let's, uh, let's touch on how to guide your teens. Three things here, real quick, this morning. You, I'll talk fast, you listen fast. Number one, love them. When I say love them, Here's what I mean. Love them unconditionally. Mom and Dad, let your kids know that your love and your acceptance of them is not based on good grades. It's not based on athletic achievement. It's not based on personal popularity or even perfect conduct. Your love for them is based on the fact that they are yours and you love them. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. More likely than not, some of you that are listening to me right here this morning, you're going to be given the opportunity one day, if you haven't already been provided with the opportunity, to, pr- to prove to your teenager that very thing. That your love is without condition. Preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when they make a boneheaded decision. And what teenager has not made a boneheaded decision? I made a number of them a jillion years ago. I made a lot of stupid decisions. Listen, I love my kids. We raised three teenagers, but every one of them made some really dumb choices. Amen. I made some really bad choices. But parents, when that happens, when your son or your daughter makes a poor decision, listen to me, your love at that moment is on the line. The one thing by far, and you don't know what you're talking about, those that know my story know exactly what I'm talking about. We went through this with our oldest son. So I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you the one thing by far 
that is going to be the most important to your young person after they've messed up is this. Was my mom and dad there for me? Did they stand by me? Did they show me that they loved me? You with me? And please understand this. I'm not talking about condoning their actions. I'm not talking about sweeping things under the rug or trying to, to blame, uh, put the blame on the coach or the teacher or the, the boss or the cops or whoever else. I'm just talking about unconditional love. Okay? I'm talking about confirming your affection while still condemning their actions. Does that make sense? You can love your teenage son, you can love your teenage daughter, even when they do wrong, but that doesn't mean that you have to excuse the wrong that they've done. Don't try to put it off on somebody else. Again, don't try to sweep it under the rug or play like it didn't happen. Just own up to it. You messed up, son. Sweetheart, you did the wrong thing. You made a bad choice. And by the way, parents, don't minimize the consequences. You messed up. There's going to be a price to pay. But I want you to know, mom and dad love you anyway. We've loved you from the day you were conceived. And we will love you forever. But you're going to have to wear this one, son. You're going, to have, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to face the consequences. Mom and dad can't do anything about the consequences. But we just want you to know that even in spite of that, we love you. Is that fair enough? Love them. And then listen to them. Yet another survey by America's most popular teen magazine revealed that only 4.1% of the teenage girls in America feel they could go to their father to talk about a serious problem. That's sad. USA Today published the eye-opening results of a study of teens under stress, and when asked where they turned to for help in crisis, the most popular choice was music, the second choice was peers, and the third was TV. Amazing as it may be, moms, you know where you were at on that list? You were number 31. Dad, you know where you were? You were 48. Now, parents, let me ask you this. Why do you suppose that was? I'll just give you my opinion this morning. You can take it or leave it. I think it's because parents aren't very good listeners sometimes. more prone to interrupt or to jump to conclusions than they are to listen. But can I just remind you of what Solomon said about that? He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'll just be transparent with you this morning. There were a number of times when my sons were growing up that they would start giving me a reason why this happened, and boom, I just, I just jumped to conclusions, dropped the hammer, 
He just went on. Why? I, didn't, I don't have time for your excuse. I don't have time for why you did that. Man up. Just wear it. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've had to go back when they were growing up and say, son, I'm sorry. Dad was wrong. Because I didn't listen. By the way, parents, don't ever be afraid to do that. When you mess up, you wear it. Amen. You wear it. Son, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Sweetheart, I, I, I didn't listen. I should have listened. You were telling the truth. That's on me. Please forgive me. Parents tend to be better lecturers than listeners. Parents, I submit to you, and again, this comes from personal experience. I submit to you that if you will give your kids your ear, they will give you their heart. If you will give them your ear, they will give you their heart. When parents give their teens space to say what they want to say, and what they feel like they need to say. And there needs to be parameters there. It needs to be respectful. It needs to be in a calm manner. But mom and dad, don't be afraid to give your teenager the opportunity to say what's on their heart. Don't be intimidated when they express an opinion that is different than yours. Give them that space. Give them that opportunity and when you do that, you're sending them the message that you are someone they can talk to. Because I don't know about you, but when my kids were growing up, listen, I wanted to be the one that was giving the input into their life. I didn't want some moron that, that wore his pants down around his buns and couldn't understand what he was saying. I didn't want that kind of influence in my kid's life. All right, my wife's looking at me like I just crossed a line. <laughs> I may have. That's all right. Listen, I didn't want, and I'm sorry, teenagers, but I didn't want some knucklehead teenager giving my teenager counsel. Hello? Mom and Ed, who do you want giving your kids counsel? Come on. So give them an opportunity to express themselves. Then last, lead them. For some reason, for some reason, when a child reaches adolescence, parents have a tendency to step back and play less of a leadership role in their lives. Well, they're getting older. Listen to me. That's when you need to step it up. Amen. That's when you need to step it up. As they get older and get into their teenage years, don't step away in your leadership. Step up. For some reason, parents are afraid to set standards or afraid to establish boundaries. That's a mistake. The National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse released a, an extensive study on teens and substance abuse, and their main finding was this. 
Teens whose parents have established rules in the house have better relationships with their parents and a subsequent and substantially lower risk of smoking, drinking, using illegal drugs than typical teens. Out of the 526 girls, 474 boys between ages 12 and 17 evaluated, the study found that only 25% live with parents who establish and enforce rules in the home. Those 25% are at less risk for drug abuse than teens whose parents impose rules or no, few rules or no rules. Uh, of the teens living in, in lax homes, only 24% had an exceptionally good relationship with their mothers and 13% with their fathers. Of the teens living in relatively strict homes, 57% had an exceptionally good relationship with their mothers and 47% with their fathers. The center's president he was also the former Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare, said this, mothers and fathers who are parents rather than pals can greatly reduce the risk of their children smoking, drinking, using drugs. Hey, Bridget, what's that all? It's about leading. And there's some other things that I could, could share with you this morning. But somebody's going to say, well, preacher, what about trust? What, what, what about, okay, let, let's talk about trust for a moment. How many of you who are now adults could be trusted by your parents when you were a teenager? I couldn't. Sorry. I couldn't. Now, you know my story. I, I was raised in a home. My parents were both alcoholics. I had no rules. I had no boundaries. I had no restrictions. And for you teenagers, you're thinking, man, that's the life. Let me tell you something. That's not the life. Because you grow up to be an adult jerk. And you got to learn the hard way that there are rules in life. And there are boundaries. And when you don't obey the rules and you cross the boundaries, there are consequences. So if you live in a, well, my mom and dad, eh. listen, here we go again. There's going to come a day. When you're going to thank God for that. Amen. Listen, you're going to thank God for that. But what about trust? Again, how many of you adults, when you were a teenager, could be trusted by your parents? Then why in the world do we think that our teenager can be trusted any more than we could be trusted? Here's what you can trust about your teenager. You can trust them to be a teenager. And they won't always make the best decisions any more than you made the decision. So they're going to look at you and say, well, just because your parents couldn't trust you doesn't mean you can't trust me. Time out, sweetheart. That's exactly what that means. <laughs> Sorry. I've just become the most unpopular pastor in the community I get that but I have a responsibility to be honest parents if, if and we could get into the whole trust bank thing and your kids making deposits into the trust bank and withdrawals from the, I listen we, we did all that with our kids we get that I get that the bottom line is God has put you in their life to parent 
He has put you in their life to lead. And here's what I would challenge you with this morning. Do everything you can to fight for your children. To fight for your teens. You can ask any three of our kids that are now adults, married, have their own kids. If their dad ever said this to them, and they'll straight up tell you he did. More than once I told my kids, listen to me, as your dad, I'm fighting for you. And if that means I fight with you, then so be it. Because one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an answer to God for the way I raised you and what I instilled in you. And I want to be able to look God in the eye and say, God, I did the best I could. And so if fighting for you means I fight with you, that's the way it is. Call me a jerk, do whatever. But I want to stand before God with a clear conscience be able to say God I did everything I could for my sons I did everything I could to fight for the purity of my daughter and if they didn't make right choices that's on them but I feel like I did what I could mom and dad teenage years are tough they are they're heartbreaking sometimes but listen every now and then Every now and then, you get that hug for no reason. What's that for? What do you want? <laughs> Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. You see, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Every now and then there's that glimpse that lets you know as a parent, I'm doing something right. And I'm doing everything right, but I'm doing something right. And Mom and Dad, by the way, and I'll end with this, when you see your son or daughter make a good decision, celebrate that. Big time. Celebrate it. Cheer them on. Applaud it. Tweet about it. Put it on Facebook. I don't care what you do. But you celebrate that with your, with your teenagers. And they'll appreciate that. And that'll earn you a little leeway somewhere down the line. Would you pray with me this morning?